0: Welcome to Who New. We are fans of the current series of Doctor Who, and here we discuss our likes, dislikes, and insights into the modern regeneration of the show. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash podcast. All our episodes are on hunupodcast.com. You can leave comments there or email us at hunupodcast at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram and Twitter account. Tweet at us at hunupodcast and find us on Facebook. Today's episode is an adventure in space and time. In honor of the 50th anniversary, this is a dramatization of the creation and early years of Doctor Who. It's written by Mark Gaddis, directed by Terry McDonough. It originally aired on the 21st of November, 2013, and was watched by 2.71 million viewers. Hi, this is Eugene, let's introduce ourselves. Hello, this is Auburn.
1: Hello, it's Kelsey.
0: Hi, this is Brian. Hello, this is Frank. The BBC needs to fill a half-hour hole in their programming. Sydney Newman and Verdi Lambert are tasked with creating the story of a doctor and his companions flying through time and space, but troubles soon emerge as the doctor's actor, William Hartnell, has increasing health issues. So, where do we want to start?
2: Oh, that's the summary? (laughs) That's it, yeah. Put the the 15-minute counter up. (laughs) Oh, yeah, the counter, the counter. (laughs)
3: I thought it was interesting that the whole idea is told from William Hartnough's perspective. Mm. At the very beginning, he drives up to what was at the time a police box, bringing back his memory of being just let go from being the doctor. You know, you don't quite get that, but then right afterwards, you see the time going backwards to show us how it all began. And it's his point of view. And then at the end, it comes back to that same moment in time. So I liked that idea so that any thing that they get historically incorrect could be saying this is what they believe their his point of view is going to be who he liked who he really involved himself with so it's mostly a story between him and verity Mm. that seems to be the main focus of this not just the show's creation but between those
0: two people yeah because there are historical inaccuracies but i'd like that's not the point of this right
2: you mean like Sidney Newman's accent?
0: Well, Sidney Newman is Canadian.
2: Yeah, so he wouldn't have that yeah. accent.
0: <laughs> yeah, so he, he has he, like a New Yorker accent? Yeah, he's
2: got that typical New York as viewed through a British lens accent, American
0: accent.
4: Is ITV in Toronto? Where's Where's ITV?
0: That's in uh, the UK. Oh, it's in
4: London. Oh, okay.
0: Mm-hmm. So B- B- ITV is like BBC's competitor.
4: Oh, okay. ABC
2: versus NBC.
4: Whereas, but BBC is state-run and ITV or are they both owned by the state?
2: No, just BBC.
4: Okay.
0: As a TV movie, I thought this was very well done. The production values are awesome on this. Yes. And the the music, the score, I don't know it. I really liked it, and I didn't notice it the first time I watched it. But it's it's like a like a companion. I don't know what it is. It's it's not of the time, but it's modern enough and whimsical enough that I liked it.
4: I felt like I would get whiffs, like just the scent of like themes from the the modern show, like yeah, but but not quite, you know, just kind of mm-hmm. almost there. Maybe that's just the British composers are all like kind of sound, you know, in that vein. But but yeah, I I agree. Like I like I almost heard Clara's theme, or I almost heard like yeah. other themes. But yeah,
0: yeah, that that opening shot with the TARDIS and Hartnell in the car definitely evocative of Clara's theme. Edmund Butte or Ed yeah he's the composer
3: in the story they said it was a gap between sports and kids and they wanted to get both the adult men and the kids involved in something and it came up with science fiction is a thing to try and get both and bridge that gap that they had I thought that was interesting and that he wanted and uh he meaning Sidney Newman wanted it also to have a historical aspect to it
0: mm-hmm. and that well, he didn't had- want he didn't want the bug-eyed monsters. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> and I, just, I did love the reaction, though, about how you want a science fiction show? That's the kiss of death. Right. <laughs>
3: but it was big then, and he knew it. And he is the idea man. And he is all the trends and what's going to happen. So that was an interesting take on him because he wasn't the most personable person, uh, Sidney Newman, or as involved in this as I had thought he was, according to this show. I mean, he had the idea sketching it out this is what's going to happen giving it over to the first female, female first female producer you know which they touched on the sexism and racism slightly i guess to just remind us it was there but they didn't really focus on it
2: mm-hmm. which
3: i'm a little surprised at it didn't go a little bit deeper into that
2: well to be honest with you i i don't really like this very much um and that's one of the reasons why i kind of feel this is like you know, you get this when they're trying to tell a true story or adapting a book where it's, well, there's certain things we have to cover. So it's almost like instead of covering the story, they cover the chapter titles. So it's like, this is the scene where Verity uh, experienced sexism. This is the, ser- the scene where we find out who the doctor is going to be. This is the scene where filming is a nightmare. To me, it doesn't have any depth. You're just like, they've slotted in all the necessary um scenes but there's no depth so yeah verity got you know there was like that that moment when verity had the sexism and the guy quit because of her
1: oh is that what happened i didn't (laughs) didn't.
2: you know and it's not like i wanted it to be a a a show about breaking the glass ceiling in the bbc but i wanted something you know and for me it just doesn't do it
1: right well i think it's that It's interesting because, like, we're watching the BBC make a made-for-TV movie about themselves, right? The BBC produced this, right? Right? Like, this is, right. yeah. So, I mean, like, right away, conflict of interest, for sure. Like, how honest are they going to be? You know, one of the things... It, 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 to, to our just, just to add to your list of things that they like hinted at but didn't delve deeper into, you know, we see Wallace exchange a Wallace. look, a, or or uh-huh. a, a man look at Wallace in a way that yeah. we we're like that that you know le- gives us a, a hint. of like, oh, oh look, Wallace is Wallace is gay, and then what but then is that, that his it.
0: name? Wallace. Wallace. Wallace Wallace
1: Oh, but see, we the doctor <laughs> called him Wallace at one point. <laughs> yes. Okay, so so we see in uh, in the scene at the bar, someone gives Warris a look to fill the viewer in that Warris is gay, but then that was never, that was it. And it just leaves the viewer either feeling like, not, I don't know, it empties the word, but dissatisfied. Like even in that, we when he makes his exit, Verdi gives him a look that to me was like she's attracted to him and then we I expected her to follow him into the elevator and like try to like make a move and then him be like no that's not you know uh, oh to wrap up his story yeah <laughs> to, 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 to give a moment for them to like you know learn something about each other or for Verity to learn something personal about Warris
3: but she knew at the bar. I mean, she was watching that and she even mentioned about, you know, is having a cute butt and, you know, entering that. Watching the guy watch him.
1: So oh, she knew okay.
3: at the bar. And I think how I took that scene is that's her companion. That's her, her one person that they bonded over being the only people in their field at this time in the BBC, being and, the and outsiders.
2: I, yeah. had, and I kind of took it in the same way, except okay, you're leaving, but you're leaving me with all these crazy people. Right. You know, so that's how I took that scene.
0: Well, well going back to what Frank said, this is about uh, William Hartnell and Verity Lambert. So this is where William Hartnell, his memory stops. He doesn't know what happened to Morris afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> but also this is the part of the
3: show, um, this episode, the show we're watching, the movie, where it's a cascade of everybody leaving. He was the first one and then they're changing companions and then Verity finds a new job. And it could be her looking at it, also you're leaving. Have I made my mark enough to move on to something else? You know, just because even at the very beginning, this, the way they were treating it was a show. It's not something that's gonna last and have a 50th anniversary or have a 60th anniversary or anything, it's just, it was a show to fill a time slot for a few years. And it mm-hmm. just took on its own life and kept going because it had great ratings compared to the leaf at the time. It was good. I mean, there's so much you can bring into that look and that scene because he's gone, you know, so it's it's a hit. Things are going well, <laughs> but it's just yeah. a, right then they've cut quickly to other companions coming on and other things happening.
2: And and if I have this right, doesn't he have to go on it, go off and be the master? <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of busy. I know, I'm yeah, okay. That was are we cool. going to talk about the casting now?
0: Oh, you want I usually say that to the end. Uh, also, very
3: came back oh. in Doctor Who.
0: Yeah, is Emma How Grayling. Now?
3: Since Brian brought up the, you know, sure. the past.
0: Yeah, she's, uh, Emma, she's Emma Grayling in uh, the episode Hyde. That is uh, Jessica Rain playing Verdi Lambert. And then uh, she was in the last post called The Midwife. We mentioned this before, David Bradley. He's playing William Hartnell, and he played uh, Solomon in mm-hmm. uh, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. Uh-huh. And he's from Game of Thrones and Harry Potter. He also
3: played Doctor Who, the first Doctor, again. He will,
0: yes. Oh, that is true. He will. (laughs) Timey-wimey.
3: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Brian Cox plays Sidney Newman. He's uh, William Stryker in X2. He played Robert McKee in adaptation with Nick Cage. He was uh, Logan Roy in succession, or he is Logan Roy in succession for those of you who are watching the show now. And he was previously in Doctor Who as the Elder Ood's voice in The End of Time Part One. Oh, okay. Sasha Daw Dow-
1: Part One.
0: Yeah, is where he gave a tenant when Tenet leaves. Oh,
1: okay.
0: The End of Time itself. Uh, Sasha Darwin plays Tawaris Hussein. He was in 24 Live Another Day. And I remember him. He's done a lot of stuff since then and a lot of things from uh, overseas or, you know, like the UK. But I remember him from a, a sitcom on NBC called Outsourced. He played Man Meet. It's where um, they take a bunch of IT folks and they're mostly Indian. And it was based off of, I think, a movie. And then they made it into a sitcom, which... It had some good episodes, but mostly not so good episodes. I'm gonna go through these real quick because I didn't see anything else that these folks had done. That's like worth noting. Claudia Grant plays Carol and Ford. Gemma Powell plays Jacqueline Hill. Leslie Manville plays Heather Hartnell. That's uh, William Hartnell's wife. Jamie Glover plays William Russell. That's Ian Chesterton. The, the, the actor playing Ian Chesterton. And then Ross Gurney Randall plays Reg. Roger May plays Len. Sam Orhawar plays Douglas Camfield. Charlie Kemp plays Arthur. Reese Shearsmith plays Patrick Troughton, the actor that uh, replaces William Hartnell in this movie. And then um, Jeff Raleigh plays Mervyn Pinfield. That becomes the associate producer to Verdi. He's the older gentleman with the glasses and always wearing the waistcoat.
1: Hmm.
0: He was uh, previously in Doctor Who ish with uh, the Sarah Jane Adventures. He played Mister Harding in, in the story Mona Lisa's Revenge, and he was Amos Diggory in the Harry po- in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire.
2: Okay, really?
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow. And he was in classic Who. He was the Plantagenet in Frontios with the Fifth Doctor. I saw. A cameo oh, hidden do in you, this. Do you want me to do that now too?
2: Oh, I don't know. Oh,
3: I thought since we're talking about it, we can. You're doing. Two, are
2: you doing like Doctor Who Easter egg
3: cameos?
0: Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. that for the end.
3: Okay, we're talking about the same one, I think, near at the uh, going away party.
0: Yes. There's. Okay. There's two. There's two. Oh, at the then I
3: only caught that one. Okay. good. Yeah.
0: yeah.
3: <laughs> well. Okay, um, yeah. Totally geeking out at this woman, aren't we? <laughs> yeah.
0: Good for us. Well, the I I like I like this. Um, I don't know why, I just have a warm feeling about it. And I noted things or scenes that I enjoyed. And I think it's because we've sort of gotten pieces of the story through like behind the scenes, reading, research. And when I see it all strung together in a narrative, I'm more invested, even though I know what's gonna happen. I know that William Hartnell is gonna be replaced. I know that the show is gonna have a rough start because of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. But it's gonna find its place in pop culture, and it's gonna continue. So I, I don't know. I think just me being a fan, I am primed to like this already. Mm. (laughs) Something that reminded me of what we're do, or what we've been doing, is when Hartnell gets this. I think it's the first script, or one of the second episodes, or something. Because it's not. I don't think it's an unearthly child, but he's reading it, and he's. Going over his lines, his granddaughter comes to him and starts asking him questions about what he's what he's saying. And, and then he goes, I'm the doctor. He's like, the doctor? A doctor. Does he make people better? And that reminded me of Christopher Eccleston at Rose City Comic Con when he mentioned that his kid did the same thing to him. He's like, Dad, people say that you are the best doctor. Does that mean you make people better? And I was like, this is so weird that totally unrelated things, but essentially the same message the same theme of who the doctor is mm.
1: yeah well what about when Hartnell when he finds out he's gonna be replaced saying to his wife I don't want to go yeah I don't want to go and I was like ah that's tenant's line
0: and, <laughs> and it's it's so sad that this made it work better because that line when Tenant says it still doesn't doesn't land for me but this one it's like you you made it work where He doesn't want to go like literally because he he got revitalized in his acting career but his health is keeping him from proceeding
3: but whoever put that in was perfect i mean yes it kind of brought us all out but it's the same thing of the doctor transitioning to another doctor in the show but this bringing it to yeah you really are going and it's not your main choice
1: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i wouldn't say it took me out of it it made it better like I think all the moments of this movie that I liked were because like um I knew about things going in. So like I love seeing the Daleks on the London Bridge. Yeah. Is that the bridge yeah. they are on? Uh, but it, no
0: no. Um uh Westminster Bridge?
1: Well okay. Uh yes. So on I the must, famous bridge. Yeah, on the famous <laughs> bridge. Uh, I love seeing the Daleks on the Westminster Bridge, but I don't think I would have enjoyed that scene if I hadn't watched, like, classic Who episode that that scene is from. It's... So my enjoyment increased.
0: Yes. yes. Yeah, and so now you see why we did those episodes. The Dalek Invasion of Earth, because they do that in this episode, and then the Unearthly, chi- unearthly Child, because of this is the pilot that they're, they're creating.
2: It's the iconic stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: Because I didn't see this until, you know, I watched it for this podcast. Although it's one I've always wanted to see when people talk about it. Mm-hmm.
3: I think that was, it added a lot to it for me as well.
0: Well, even even what you're talking about with the Dalek where they, this is their second episode. Because the Caveman episodes didn't do so well. And then so they're like, we got this new writer. He's, he's and then it's it's a mentioning Terry Nation who came up with the Daleks. Hmm. And we, we as fans know what the Daleks are, but the way they cover the reveal, it's as if they're showing it to somebody who's never seen Doctor. Who. And I appreciated that because it starts off with a low angle. You're basically seeing up the guy's nose as he's encased in the practical Dalek, and he's being locked in so that he can run around. And then and when he's they. Rip, and then you see his POV through the mesh, And it reminded me a lot of RoboCop. When RoboCop is first revealed, it's never shown. And when he's walking through the precinct, it's through this uh, frost covered glass. So you still don't get a good view of who he is and the POV shot of that like MS-DOS green writing from RoboCop's point of view. And I was like, this is really well done for something that I already know. Right. (laughs) What it's gonna look like, what it's gonna do. And they're making it as as, the pov is going they're even making fun of it it's like it, what is he going to do whisk eggs he's going to plunger us to death and then the reveal with uh the cast when it's like lower is seeing the dalek like, canium like the balls and then going up i don't know it was just, you didn't need to do that but i'm glad they did
2: i i thought when they had the point of view shot to me it seemed like okay it's a it's it's reminiscent of we always see through the Daleks eye stock on the show. Now we're seeing what they see in reality. <laughs> mm-hmm. I thought that was a clever little um juxtaposition, I guess. It's crazy that it worked. It's just because even I just you look at it and go, It's the dumbest looking thing I've ever seen. <laughs> but
4: they're so cool. I think uh when I watched this at first, I was like, oh, this is BBC like propaganda, like kind of whitewashing their history a little bit. But I think it's actually more just Mark Gatiss's like kind of blind love for Doctor Who. Yeah. And so like that stuff that like, I think I'm interested in from a historical perspective, like Mark isn't at all. Mm-hmm. Like it's all about like the the wonder of that, that start to Doctor Who. And yeah. so, like, like, kind of, but you guys are saying something similar, like, putting it through William Hartnell's memory, I think, is doing the same thing. It's allowing those, those lovely things to come to the top and kind of whitewashing those other things. But I think that's why, Eugene, you like it, and I think oh, yeah. that's why those parts where he is calling back to uh, modern and classic Who like with the line um i don't want to go and with everything else like there's so many of those things throughout that are fun because you're yeah. like i i kind of get that like but that's mm-hmm. it's also kind of not deep because that's what it is it's like all at that kind of level of sugary sweet like remember this <laughs> sort of
2: yeah well it's written for fan service and yeah. of course they know it- that
0: well, well, it's for the 50th, so that's why they did this and um, they did an extra special with the Day of the Doctor as opposed to how it usually goes with the Christmas uh, special, which is Time of the Doctor. Mm. So it's like they, they added extra things because mm. it's the 50th. And, they, and, I, and I remember us saying that the 50th is or the Day of the Doctor is fan service, but that's what it's supposed to be. And I think this is just an extension of it. So that's why I like it and um gaddis being a fan he tried to write make this for the 40th and it didn't get uh greenlit and so i think him being a writer on the show and him cozying up and knowing um stephen moffat he finally got his chance to do it and i i i think it's a pretty good job and like you said like kind of a love letter to the fans Mm
3: -hmm. i wonder if the 40th version had more um attention to the sexism and racism and that was going to be too heavy and so this they wanted to go a different direction i'm not negating anything you guys said because i agree with it but i'm also thinking this was about the first doctor it was about william hartner and verity so having that other thing even the assassination of the president wasn't really put into the show it was referenced Mm -hmm. oh it's kennedy's fault and Verity fighting for redo episode one right before episode two. We didn't have a fair shot because of it. Not yeah. that it wasn't important, not that it didn't play a part, but I think like the other ones, that's not the story they ended up wanting to tell.
2: Mm-hmm. It
3: was more of the interplay between people as the relationships and the re... What's the word I'm looking for, Brian? The, uh, <laughs> you know, it's more character driven rather than <laughs> mm-hmm. exterior. And I liked having Verity fight for the Daleks, and Sydney Newman going, "No, we got to sell this, and this is yeah. gone, and so we're only going to do those first four episodes." And her fighting for it and believing in it, and him, according to this, you know, believing in her enough, gonna go, "You're going to hang yourself if you don't do it, but I'll give you the shot."
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. Have,
4: do you guys know the movie Chaplin, with um, Robert yeah, Downey Jr.? Robert Downey, yeah. The. The scene that plays in my mind when I'm thinking about this movie is when in, in Chaplin he like has this like fully realized like uh the tramp just came together like like it was there, like it just magically appeared to me. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, Well, actually I had to like go through all the hats and the canes and like it wasn't just magic. Where this movie is like all magic, like the Daleks <laughs> just appear and like the everything is just fully formed like um almost too perfectly i know i know you have to because we have to get through like the the movie and the story and that's not what it's about but i think that's also kind of what's like holding back on like feeling like we're we're really seeing into the the inner workings because it's again it's that quick like
2: surface
0: yeah and we have to hit the major beats and then move on yeah
2: yeah we needed an '80s montage. Yeah, <laughs> yes.
0: I
3: did like how it was Verity described him as Frank Morgan from Wizard of Oz.
0: Yes, you know, I thought
3: that was a good visual reference you got right away. Most everybody has seen it, so they can get the idea of the wizard. Mm-hmm. But because Hartnell was being typecast a lot, he's—you know—I read up a little bit on him. He did some petty crime when he was younger. He was uh, hard growing up, and then. He was in a lot of comedies and he was a character actor in comedies and then he did some roles that were more strict military type of things and then he just got typecast into that and that's all he was doing so bringing that edge to it i think was a good idea but again like we've all said when we've watched the first couple ones it was too much and then they did lighten him up as it went by and that's how they talked about it giving him that twinkle in his eye being a little bit more like the wizard of oz type which i think played off well Oh, go away! Of... Okay.
2: <laughs> you don't remember that was the doctor saying that to
0: you? Oh, I know, I know.
2: Making sure everybody knew I wasn't telling you. To oh. <laughs> I don't want to go.
0: Frank, you saying that reminded me of another thing I wrote down or remembered is when um they have to reshoot everything because yeah. Sydney wants it, and uh, Verdi is just talking with him uh Hart- William Hartnell backstage. I don't know. I didn't expect that type of, uh, like, motivation type of uh, character thing between two two actors, as opposed to, like, she just comes in and says, we got to reshoot, and then they just reshoot. I thought that that was nice that they did that, and I I really liked the acting between the two of them.
3: Where she's saying that she messed up because of that. Yeah. Too harsh and stuff, yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Like, was he... Well, we have a lot of private scenes with him in his house, with his wife, with his granddaughter. Like, do you think he was portrayed accurately? Or like, what are they basing their character, William Hartnell on?
0: Well, uh, I I have the the Blu-ray and the DVD. So there's there's a featurette that has his granddaughter reminiscing about this time. And she goes, what I saw on TV was grandfather, so I think that that's accurate. That he wasn't really acting; he was just playing himself <laughs> as this cantankerous, grumpy alien from another planet. But yeah, go ahead.
2: But they also they also showed that he loved the kids' reaction. He loved that, to little kids, he was the doctor, and he would. Yeah play that up so it wasn't you know he wasn't like a it was cantankerous in general but he did have those softer moments when it was important
0: yeah the other one that comes to mind that they mentioned in that featurette was when um he kind of scolds Carol Ann ford for buying a dress for well, on her paycheck it's like nothing lasts and he kind of upset the uh the crew so he got flowers for all the women, and I think they said he brought biscuits, which are cookies, for all the men, and th- they they all liked that because they said um, he couldn't really he was of a generation where he couldn't say sorry. No. Yeah. So this was his way of doing it, and they appreciated that he actually did something instead of just like swallowing it and moving along. So those those moments were true, and I think that that's cool that they kept them in there.
3: And it, it, I think kids' places were different back in the 60s, 70s, you know, before even the 80s, and they became the latchkey Kids, and it changed a lot, and they grew up a lot. But I remember people not taking young kids to amusement parks, Disneyland, because, no, that's for the older kids. The younger kids stayed home with someone else, with relatives, babysitters, whatever, because they knew they wouldn't get the fulfillment out of it you Know really young kids will like opening a box, playing with something else, they're still enjoying themselves. So, I think at the time you go out to dinner, it was the adults and the kids would stay home with the babysitter, not just bringing them to fancy dinners or anything.
2: Or you got relegated to the back corner of the table and you had to sit there and not talk while they chatted on and on and on. I don't have issues, I swear I don't. <laughs> no,
3: but it's it's, it's it true. Was a different time, it was trying true. To look at it just from that. He was already not all you know healthy you know so he was getting weaker and tired quickly quickly more quickly you know because of his condition the blood wasn't flowing as well and he's been out of work so he was already irritated and yeah he took it out of his granddaughter but that is what until when the 70s and 80s came along a lot of that would happen but and the granddaughter you the, didn't hold it the, against him forever
2: no, so. no no you know five minutes later grandpa's the greatest person on the planet that's kind of how i was seeing it but back so to it was the, hard the way to see because portrayed.
3: but it was hard to see because it is different than what we live with today yeah our attitude and perception of it is so different but trying to put it back then because even his relationship with his wife they were married there, you know the entire time they didn't divorce they didn't remarry to anyone else this was their life and this was their family and they did love each other and when he was happy and she was happy it worked so well but they didn't have that communication that we all now have grown up with you know of trying to communicate and trying therapy or trying something different it was like then they didn't have that opportunity or way to deal with it so i th- thought it was done well but it was hard to watch because it's so much you want to look at it I'm going, well, just talk to each other, open up about this, do something, you know, that we would try and do now to work through problems. Sorry, I'm lecturing now, I didn't realize. <laughs> and the scene of him with the kids in the park is great. was great. And it was, you know, showing the other side of him and that how Doctor Who revitalized something in him you know so yeah. he was having fun he did like the play it wasn't the same role he's been playing forever he did get to do something different that was positive and affecting kids and it was good and so that was really nice to see
4: and i like how the show had him like not only appreciate how good it was but also get into it like like with the console things and you know making sure yes. that he had the right button. This is gonna be the open door button from now on. And like uh also whatever however real or whatever it was a nice um a, a nice metaphor to have him be the one that had to turn on the TARDIS console to make it work. Yes.
0: And yeah. then turning the, it
4: off when yeah he left. That was good.
0: Where the technician didn't know what to do.
4: <laughs> yeah. That made it his TARDIS.
0: Yeah. Some behind the scenes on that, the console has that light green to it. Mm -hmm. And that's because, I mean, normally we see it, it's all white and sterile. um, But it's because of black and white TVs, just like Star Trek. They had uh, the gold, red, and blue, so that you could tell that they were different on a black and white uh, TV. So that's why they did that. Otherwise, the video cameras would have seen like a blown out console as far as like... Uh blown out image because of the white reflectiveness. So that's why it's green.
2: It even goes back to like, I love Lucy when they put makeup on, I love Lucy, it had a green tinge to it so that it would show up properly in a gray tone on a black and white TV.
0: And that's why when um, Superman showed up, the uh, George Reeves, his costume was like brown and gray and not red and blue.
2: So that you could see it.
0: Yeah. Hmm.
4: Well, I also, um, the Daleks also like the the spheres were like greenish, mm-hmm. in in this in this uh, show. Was they they looked like
0: turquoise to me. Yeah,
4: yeah, was that probably? I mean, I'm sure it was accurate to the the Daleks at the time, but probably also another like filming, like just to get things to show up different contrasts.
0: Probably, but what's funny is that the toys that come out for that era of Daleks, they have that turquoise Dalekanian balls as well. So. Hmm. I don't know if that's really what... Maybe somebody had a color camera and took production stills?
2: Well, that could have been.
3: I wish they would have gone into that in the actual <clears throat> movie, of why they would do things in color, colorizing them in certain ways. I wish they would have, this is not working. And having them blown out on their screen and go, well, that's not going to be good. Let's tone it down and find the right color
4: yeah show us dalek 1.0 and then like <laughs> figuring out what oh this was the thing that was missing that made it a dalek here it is like yeah
1: that would have been fun or like more in yeah more an in and in, innovative things innovative innovative things that they had to do because they were on this strict budget we i think we get a hint of that like we get a hint of them having to like struggle at the beginning with like the sound stage that they're given and and you know we, we get a little bit of that but yeah it would have been um, nice to see see more missteps and then and then what came out of that that is like so iconic it's all it's like it's like this and but then like seeing that it, it's like this because they had it was like invention um it was like a necessity right necessity is the mother of invention and um I did get think it was really neat to see how they had to live edit mm-hmm. the show. Um well, I did it I thought that was a really cool educational bit of of knowledge that they threw in there and I was just so I was so fascinated by that.
2: Didn't they say they could only cut four times?
0: Yeah, that was Mervin Pinfield, the associate producer telling that to Juaris in the like the control booth. And they also, what I like about that part that we're talking about now is that they showed how the bulky cameras and the uh, cables, that's why Warris is telling them, move the camera, move the camera. And then they're like bumping into furniture or set props. And then um, they they make a, a racist comment about Warris where, because the lights, the lights make the studio hot. And they're like, shouldn't he be used to that? Because he's Indian from India, not Native American Indian. Um and then you see that the sprinklers go off because it's way too hot, <laughs> and I'm like, "Wow, that's that's cool that they did that."
2: I like the little moment where, um, hold on, I lost it. Oh, I like it. Okay, so there's that moment where uh, William Hartnell says the wrong word, and behind the camera, one guy's like, "He said the wrong word," and the other guy just like shrugs. <laughs> okay this is what we got to work with so i thought that was a good little reference to yes we know unfortunately what's happening with william hartnell
1: but then off of that you see his granddaughter like one watching the show call out a flub uh, that he made but then she reasoned it oh well you're the doctor so you know something that the rest of the people don't know and that's why you said gloves or whatever. Yeah, uh, was... the gr-
0: the granddaughter was saying you need gloves to touch the Daleks because they're so dangerous. When he said, I think he was supposed to say drugs.
1: Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was it was kind of like sad to see these things sprinkle. They they definitely sprinkled things about uh, William Hartnell's health, like when Wallace had left and the directors directing him. He's like, Warris, I can do this. It's like, oh, Warris hasn't been here for a while. And then I think we we caught or catch it where he flubs the line and he can't say Chesterton. He says like Charto. Yeah. And they even do the, something like that in this one. And then the one where they, they kind of laugh at it is when he says, he's supposed to say the fault locator, but he huh. says fornicator. <laughs> so we've covered that episode. I think that was the edge of destruction. So I I like seeing the stuff that we've done hinted at in this movie.
3: Yeah. And that it all played off on that one. That was funny. Everybody was like, just go with it. Just go with it.
0: (laughs) And then the doors constantly kept opening. I'm like, Mm -hmm.
3: what is going on here, guys? (laughs) When uh, they picked Patrick Troughton to replace him, I was trying to do research on that. And some are saying that it was Hartnell who suggested Troughton to replace him. That it was his idea.
4: Well, that's what Hartnell was claiming by the end of the movie.
3: <laughs> okay, that could be. That's where I'm getting that from. But as as <laughs> I find out because I'd heard about that. So, so oh, I like um, that they put this in there just because of that. Going, what we've all had is that he named his successor, and it's like, no, but he knew of him. It looked like no, I know of him. <laughs> he's good, and he did say the line in that meeting. You know, he's the one who can do this. Yeah, yeah,
1: I like that moment where the next actor who was going to play him was like super nervous um like he even uh said that like well, what was he saying he's I, i've only seen it the once so i can't I remember but he's like it's like you know it's hartnell's last day and the new doctor's there and he's like i hope i do a good job or i hope i don't mess it up um
3: and hartnell was saying you know there's i told him there was only one person who could fill this role and <laughs> try Oh, um
0: so he couldn't answer? He couldn't Where is he? Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: And uh speaking of Patrick Troughton, we mentioned in another episode the Three Doctors special. I think that was the tenth anniversary of the show. Or they mentioned something in the special features, but uh William Hartnell was probably retired by this time and they were they they called and it was John Pertwee, the third doctor, was the current doctor and they called up uh Patrick Troutman, the second doctor. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. And then they they called William Hartnell, or, or I think they called the wife first. Yeah, so. And they said, uh, we'd love for him to come back. And she goes, he'd love to, but his his health, he can't memorize anything. And so I know we haven't watched it, but that's why the first doctor is isolated from the other two doctors, because he's in his own kind of like studio set. It's a very dark and they are throwing up cue cards for him to read his lines. So even though he couldn't act with anybody, I'm so glad that they, got, they found a way and they wrote a way to have him into that special. And he said he would, he would he's like, yeah, I'll do it. So I, I like that he's willing and they found a way to work with his, uh, his limitations.
3: Also his wife, from what I understand, said that he needs to sit during it. He couldn't mm-hmm. stand and do a lot of the things that way he couldn't walk a lot and stand a lot so he had to sit down
2: during if he's going to do the show yeah it yeah, wasn't he sitting in a little pyramidy thing
0: yeah it's like a weird uh glass pyramid that it was supposed to be like a crystal i think i don't remember something,
2: something like that <laughs> floating through the void
3: so should we all talk about the doctor in the room <laughs> 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 the ending
0: yeah
2: little scene
3: well william haughtner has the doctor his last day, reminiscing about his time and being there, he looks over and sees Matt Smith being the last doctor of this regeneration cycle, at least at the time. Because we all thought at the time, what Mm -hmm. are they going to do? How are they going to continue this show? Because Matt Smith's doctor was the last regeneration. you know. So we didn't know what was going to happen. So it was, at the time, the current doctor, but this was supposed to be his span. So that was kind of... You know, at the time, it was like, oh, this is a new one. And then looking back on it now, it's kind of, it's still encapsulated in that, being the first, and at least for me, being the first, and then the last of that grouping, that reincarnation lineage.
0: And that, that scene is from the 10th planet. That is the last story that William Hartnell does before he regenerates into the second Doctor, Patrick Trouton. That's one of those episodes that's like lost, so they animated it. That scene that that they took where he glance, he's on the TARDIS console and he glances over at Matt Smith, the 11th Doctor. Matt Smith then starts to flip some switches on the console. Mm-hmm. So in William Hartnell's regeneration as it is televised and animated, the TARDIS console starts to flip its own switches. So I think that's cool that they wrote that there's a reason why that happens. And I, I, I don't know. It's like, that's for diehards right there.
1: Oh,
2: crazy. <laughs> okay, you just made me like that cameo.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, what I said, I said this to Auburn. I'll share it with all of you. Like, I can't trust anything in this movie because there's a scene where they have the TARDIS disappear in real life on the monitor while they're filming live to tape, and it's like, no, no, <laughs> how did they do that? No,
0: it's magic. <laughs>
1: Well, they would they would have to have had two different cameras filming.
0: I see what you're saying. Okay. Um, that's taken from the Dalek invasion of Earth where uh, Carol Ann Ford as yeah Susan leaves. You know, I never took it that the TARDIS actually dissolves. It, it's funny because I took that as we don't have time. So we're just going to show you how it aired. And that's how it aired.
4: Yeah. Don't. Don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. (laughs) It's a better story to have the TARDIS disappear on the the video console than it was to to show them going to location, filming on location, (laughs) trucking the TARDIS off, filming some more. Yeah.
0: I mean, uh, what isn't a good story without a little embellishment, right? Yeah. (laughs) Verdi Lambert uh leaves the show and they throw her a farewell party a going away party and william hartnell says until we meet again Uh, this is the same thing that the the fourth doctor tom baker said to sarah jane smith elizabeth sladen when she left the tardis in uh, the hand of fear and then um, the security guard at the bbc that tells sydney newman identification that's william russell the guy that plays ian chesterton the first uh (gasps) companion
3: so cool. I was wondering who he was. I didn't recognize him at all, but I figured the way that they presented it.
0: Yeah. Like,
3: who is this? And I just they, did not get that. They oh. gave him
0: so many lines. <laughs> and then uh Carol Ann Ford, who played Susan, is uh, the mom. I'm gonna take I'm gonna say she's the mom in the street. It's like sunset and she's calling, Michael, Dennis, your tea's getting cold as they pan across and then they see people watching Doctor Who in the house. Oh, um, okay.
3: Oh, shoot, I didn't pay that much. T- oh, <laughs>
4: <laughs>
0: now we have to watch it again. <laughs> Definitely. So, Frank, you picked up, I'm going to say, Jean Marsh.
3: Yes. Yeah. Jean Marsh was next to Verity Lambert and uh, William Hartnell in that goodbye scene for Verity's goodbye party. She's standing right next to her, and she was Morgaine in Battlefield, which was a yes. seventh doctor and eighth with uh, the whole um, King Arthur, Sword in the Stone uh,
0: storyline. And so, she was also she was also in Crusade with the first Doctor, but as a different character. Oh, okay. And then next to Jean Marsh is Anki Willis, who played Polly. She she was a companion to the first Doctor, oh. and then transitioned to the second Doctor.
3: Oh, okay. I thought that was someone, but I couldn't figure out how it was. But G. Marsh caught my eye right away in the background. Oh, for I sure. Was like, <laughs> I was like, whoa, look, Moldy. From <laughs> Escape from Oz, that's where I first knew her from. So just...
0: uh, Return, return to Oz. Return
3: to Oz. <laughs> Sorry.
0: It's okay.
3: I know that. I'm getting old. I'm heart-milling. <laughs> that was great to see her. But okay, Polly, that makes sense. The haircut, mm-hmm. and Okay. <laughs>
0: There's a guy called, uh, there's an actor, Mark Eden, he plays Donald Braverstock, and he was the original Marco Polo. That's the scene okay. that they are filming where Susan buys that dress.
2: Yeah, the, the Asian cut dress that the doctor, that William Arnold says she shouldn't have bought. Mm-hmm. And Marco Polo is one of those completely gone.
0: Yeah, so I haven't so, seen it.
2: No, but I don't think it exists at all. I think it's yeah, one of the, what, yeah. completely missing. which is probably a good thing.
3: There was that one scene on the bus where Verity sees the kids playing Dalek, and that was great. And her going, can't wait to see it. You know, this is what happened on the bus. Uh oh, I'm going to be fired. (laughs) It just (laughs) was a good scene of it made the impact that she wanted to. It was having them on the bus was great.
0: Uh, So an adventure in space and time was nominated for best single drama. And the hugo award at uh, the hugo award i think no that, that was sorry that was at the bafta and then for the hugo award it uh was nominated for best dramatic presentation short form
2: it was all but it was up against like every other doctor who thing yeah in the in the the 50th the short form one it mm-hmm. was up against day of the doctor time of the doctor um I want to say the five ish doctors, but I could be wrong on that. And then like an episode of Game of Thrones and something.
0: Yeah, I think that year it went to Game of Thrones, the episode, the Reigns of Castamere.
3: I liked this movie. I watched it when it first came out for the 50th, and I haven't seen it since until for this. And I have forgotten a lot about it and how it was done. But there's still such a sadness about it. You know, it kind of reminds me of Blink, you know, how you know, sad is, you know, happy for deep people. And it just has this air of some happiness with it. But overall, that bittersweet melancholy flavor that the British do so well, you know? <laughs> it's, America doesn't do it as well. And I'd recommend
2: seeing it. I liked it. Um like i said before i don't really like it i don't dislike it i'm very neutral towards it um watching it i think my problem is i really wish we had the actual documentation of how it happened i mean we don't because they're not going to like let's have a documentary of a cheap kids show but i really wish we could see the actual behind the scenes real people really coming around to designing and writing this stuff um and i think of that a lot when i'm watching this so i'm neutral
1: um, yeah, it was an interesting education into Doctor Who, the the beginning of how it started. I feel like I learned stuff, um, but you watch it because you love the show, and you're like, you need need uh, something to tie you over to the next season. You're like, oh, I'll watch that, you know, that made for TV movie that the BBC did about themselves, uh, and. <laughs> in the movie that they did about the making of Doctor Who. Um, Yeah, it was a cool cool little flick.
3: And Kelsey, I want to reiterate what you said earlier in that the more you know or have seen some of the classic episodes and know about it, really helps bring it all in. (laughs) It makes it a better show when you had seen the original episodes, when you know that um, Jessica Rain was in Hyde and she's also doing Verity Lambert and that all the other cameos are in it. It's You know the master is in this
4: (laughs) um yeah i mean i think I, i agree with what everyone's been saying like i think it's it's uh perfectly watchable like it's a very competently made movie i think it has fun moments you would be better served if you have seen both classic and new doctor who um but i think if if you even if you have a passing interest in doctor who take a look it's good good enough
0: Yeah, you you guys saying like the BBC making a movie about the BBC themselves. It reminded me of a Straight Outta Compton where those people are making a movie about themselves. So then they gloss over all the womanizing and all the drug use. So it's like... I can forgive the BBC cuz they're making something about themselves. And at the end of the day, I think this was definitely made for somebody like me cuz I just ate it up and I I don't know. It's just one of those things where it's like watching a myth where I know what's going to happen. I've heard all the stories of how it's going to happen, but then having somebody craft it into a narrative through the the eyes of uh, William Hartnell and Verity Lambert. And then adding the soundtrack to those visuals, I think it just makes me think of comfort food. It's just something that, Sure, we look at the past with rose-colored glasses, but isn't that how we always do that? And so why shouldn't the movie be like that? What I also like is that this movie is about second chances. It gives Mm. William Hartnell a a boost in his uh, his career. And then Verdi was on her way out of not having anything to do for a year in TV. So I think everybody deserves a second chance. And I think that's why watching this and analyzing it this week, I think that's why I like this movie a lot.
3: Would you say that The 50th special was more for the new who and this is more for the classic who
0: oh yeah yeah because the new who viewers that are watching it since 2005 won't know any of these references like uh i don't even think they know who sydney newman and verity lambert are (laughs) (laughs)
3: but for those who wanted the 50th to be more all-inclusive of doctor who you know this would be a good one that they would might like for more the classic this may have been what they were looking for, looking for for the fiftieth special mm-hmm. type of thing,
0: and I mean, this was—I don't want to—I don't want to say test grounds, but something happened where David Bradley came back. It's not like he did this and was done with Doctor Who, so that shows yeah. something was there. Right. Anyway, so that wraps up an adventure in space and time. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time when the future becomes the present. You've just listened to an episode of Who Knew. Our wonderful theme music
2: is by Michael Grady.
1: Find him on Facebook at The Universe Explodes.
2: All our episodes are engineered
3: by Auburn. You can find him at auburnbinkley.com. You can also find this show in several
2: places. Follow us on Twitter at Who Knew Podcast. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on
0: iTunes and Stitcher.
1: Or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Podcast.
0: All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com.
2: Visit our Facebook page. Please leave
0: comments, reviews, and click like to help support Who New Podcast. To listen to our show on your Amazon Echo device, enable the AnyPod podcast skill. Ask AnyPod to play the Who New Podcast. This podcast is inspired by Doctor Who.
1: The longest running sci-fi show in history.
3: And especially the revival, spearheaded by Russell T. Davis.
2: Thanks to Russell, Sidney Newman, Verity Lambert, Ron Grainer, Delia Derbyshire
1: and all those involved in the adventures of our favorite Time Lord.
2: Your work continues to inspire and entertain.